Bad in the boondocks Bad in the boondocks People put down But what you're supposed to do In a small town Bad in the boondocks Bad in the boondocks Lord have mercy Can't be Bad in the boondocks Hey, and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks, as always. I am one of your hosts, Stan. Yep, and I'm Drew. And this is the third time of us recording this episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this third time's a charm. This one's going to be perfect. I just want everyone to remember that we want our listeners to get in touch with us and get involved with us. We want to hear from you. We want to communicate with you. We want to get to know you. We want to become your friend. So you can go to Facebook, look up Bad in the Boondocks, leave us a comment there, or you can email us at Bad in the Boondocks, all lowercase letters, at att.net. That is Bad in the Boondocks at att.net. The first four people that get in touch with us will receive our brand new die-cut logo stickers, which are really cool. You'll be the envy of the rest of the world. (laughs) These are not your children's doctor's office stickers. All right. You got anything to tell us, Drew? Anything? Um, Any news? I think that's about it, right? So, on with the show. All right. Get a sip of coffee. Or you can go first. All right. Now I'm going to do Pedro Lopez. Lopez was born in 1949 into Lima, Colombia, a time when the country was in political turmoil and crime was rampant. He was the seventh of 13 children born to a Colombian prostitute. When Lopez was eight, his mother caught him touching his sister's breast, and she kicked him out of his house forever. Lopez became a beggar on the violent Colombian streets. He was soon approached by a man who sympathized with the boy's situation and offered him a safe home and food to eat. Lopez, desperate and hungry, did not hesitate and went with the man. Instead of going to a comfortable home and getting fed, He was taken to an abandoned building and repeatedly sodomized and returned to the street hungry. During the attack, Lopez angrily vowed he would do the same to as many little girls that he could, a promise that he later kept. After being raped by the pedophile, Lopez became paranoid of strangers. He would hide during the day and scavenge for food at night. Within a year, he left to Lima and wandered to the town of Bogota. An American couple reached out to him after feeling pity for the thin boy that was begging for food. They brought him to their home and enrolled him in a school for orphans. But when he was 12, a male teacher molested him. Shortly afterward, Lopez stole money and fled back into the streets. Lopez, lacking in education and skill, survived on the streets by begging and committing petty thievery. His stealing advanced to car theft, and he was paid very well when he sold the cars, 
to the chop shops. He was arrested at the age of 18 for car theft and sent to prison. After a few days of being there, he was gang-raped by four prisoners. So he's had a really rough time with rape and molestation. Yeah. And he's only 18, and this is the third time. The anger and rage he experienced as a child rose inside him again, consuming him. He made another vow to himself to never be violated again. Lopez got his revenge for the rape by killing three of the four men responsible. Authorities added two years to his sentence, deeming his actions as self-defense. During his incarceration, he had time to revisit his life, and a quiet rage toward his mother became monstrous. He also dealt with his sexual needs by browsing pornographic magazines. He just browsed them. Just browsed them. Yeah. Just for the articles. You really think so? Between his prostitute mother and pornography, Lopez's only knowledge of women fed his demented hatred for them. In 1978, Lopez was released from prison, moved to Peru, and began kidnapping and killing young Peruvian girls. He was caught by a group of Indians and tortured, buried up to his neck in the sand, but he was later freed and deported to Ecuador. Experiencing near death did not influence his murderous ways, and his killing of young girls continued. The increase of missing girls was noticed by authorities, but it was concluded that they had likely been kidnapped by child peddlers and sold as sex slaves. In April of 1980, a flood exposed the bodies of four murdered children, and the Ecuadorian authorities realized that there was a serial killer at large. Shortly after the flood, Lopez was caught trying to abduct a young girl after the child's mother intervened. The police could not get Lopez to cooperate, so they enlisted the help of a local priest, dressed him as a prisoner, and placed him in a cell with Lopez. The trick worked. Lopez was quick to share his brutal crimes with his new cellmate. When confronted by the police about the crimes he shared with his cellmate, Lopez broke down and confessed. His memory of his crimes were very clear which was remarkable since he confessed to killing at least 110 children in Ecuador, over a 100 more in Colombia, and another 100 in Peru. Lopez admitted that he would walk the streets looking for innocent, good girls who he would lure away with the promise of gifts. Lopez often brought the girls to prepared graves, sometimes filled with the dead bodies of other girls he had killed. He would calm the child with soft, measuring, reassuring words throughout the night. At sunrise, he would rape and strangle them, satisfying his sick sexual needs as he watched their eyes fade as they died. He never killed at night because he could not see his victim's eyes and felt without that element that the murder was waste. In Lopez's confession, he told of having tea parties and playing morbid games with the dead children. He would prop them up in the graves and talk to them, 
convincing himself that his little friends liked the company. But when the dead children failed to answer, he would become bored and go off to find another victim. The police found his ghastly confession hard to believe, so Lopez agreed to take them to the graves of the children. Over 53 bodies were found, which was enough for the investigators to take him at his word. The public renamed him Monster of the Andes, as more information about his crimes became known. For his crimes of raping, killing, and mutilating over 100 children, Lopez received life in prison. Lopez never showed remorse for his crimes. In a prison interview with journalist Ron Latner, he said if he ever got out of prison, he would happily return to killing young children. The pleasure he received from his demented acts of murder over-empowered any sense of right from wrong, and he admittedly looked forward to the opportunity to wrap his hands around the throat of his next child. That did a lot of good. <laughs> I know it. No one was concerned that Lopez would have the opportunity to kill again. If paroled from the prison... In Ecuador, he would still have to stand trial for his murder in Colombia and Peru. But after 20 years of solitary confinement in the summer of 1998, Lopez was taken in the middle of the night to the Colombia border and released. Neither Colombia or Peru had the money to bring the madman to justice. Whatever happened to the monster of the Andes is unknown. Many suspect and hope that one of the many bounties offered for his death eventually paid off and that he is dead. If Lopez has escaped his enemies and is still alive, there is little doubt that he has returned to his old ways. And that is the monster of Andes. So, do you have a story for us? Yes, I do. You want me to get into it? Mm, sure do. A beautiful blonde undresses and steps into the shower, only only to be attacked a few mo- moments later by a man in women's clothing who stabs her to death. Lost teenagers stumble into a terrifying family of cannibals who dress in human skin and create furniture and ornaments from human bone and flesh. But the right here. <laughs> um. Now I've got to find my book. A vicious serial killer kidnaps and slaughters young girls so that he can create a suit from human skin and thus transform himself into a woman. Sound familiar? Of course it does. These are portions of the plots from three chilling films called Psycho, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Silence of the Lambs. They are three films after which you can leave the darkened theater and tell yourself, thank God it's only a movie. Or can you? Because you see, elements of each of these blood-curdling films actually occurred. In real life, though, The killer's name was not Norman Bates, Leatherface, or Jamie Gum, but Edward Gein, otherwise known as 
The Butcher of Plainfield. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he was born on August 27th. 1906, in La Crosse, Wisconsin. His father, George, he was an alcoholic, and his mother, Augusta, was an extremely religious mother. I love that name, Augusta. Yeah. Almost as much as my other name that I like. <clears throat> Which is what? I forgot, actually. What was the woman's name that you had, and I loved it for a woman's name? Mom, I don't know. I don't remember. But anyway. His mother preached all the time to him and his brother Henry about the sins of lust and carnal desire. In 1915, they picked up and moved to Plainfield, Wisconsin. Gein only left the farm to attend school. His father, George, died in 1940. <laughs> from a heart attack, and Gein and his brother began working odd jobs like burning the brush on the property. Burning the brush. <laughs> that just sounds like our our song, Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks. <laughs> burning the brush. Oh, yeah, it does kind of. One day, the fire spread out of control, and Henry died. Oh, poor Henry. Yeah. Well, but was it? But was it what? Did he really die? Yes, he really died. Okay. He actually did. Well, it only makes sense to blame his death on the fire, but circumstances led people to believe that it could have been Gein who killed him. Maybe it was the fire department drowned him in water. What? That'd yeah. actually be very ironic, a fire department drowning somebody in water and they're supposed to be putting out a fire. Isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Gein never <laughs> Gein never dated or left home. Oh, he was a loser. Yeah, he was. Wait, 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 wait. Don't you say anything. Then his mother died in 1945, and Gein became increasingly deranged. I really, I really just want. No, after she was gone, he lived by himself and kept her room clean, but he let the rest of the house go to waste. He now developed an interest for anatomy books. Gein worked as a handyman, and I. Don't you sing it. Do not sing it. This is the third time I am after to hear it. Do not I'm sing it. Your hand, <laughs> no, man. Quit it. Come on, come oh on, come on, come on, come on. Yeah. And a babysitter. Yeah. A babysitter. I don't know why. They were but desperately he worked as a babysitter. And Yes, over the years, people from a few residences began to disappear. Can we go back to where he never dated and never lived? No. One of the missing persons was Mary Hogan, who ran a nearby tavern, and Gein frequently visited there. On November 16, 1957, Bernice Warden went missing from her hardware store. Bernice. In Plainfield. 
Ow! <laughs> I hit my hand on the table. The cash register was gone, and a blood trail was led out the back. Gene looked very suspicious, so her son Frank, who was a deputy sheriff, apprehended Gene at a neighbor's house. The authorities were sent to Gene's home, and what they found was a gruesome sight. They found Warden's body. She was hanging upside down from the ceiling. Her torso was dressed out like a deer, headless and gutted open. Mm. Police also found jars filled with organs and bowls made from skulls. There was waste baskets made of human skin, human skulls with the tops sawed off, Mary Hogan's skull and head in a box, mm. a belt made from female nipples. Mm. Now that is a belt. I know it is. It's very fashionable. He was trying to be a fashion designer. Yep. Lampshades made from human skin. I think it was human faces. Yeah, and the the um, what do you call it? The the, 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 the what I'm holding right now. No, it looks vulgar. <laughs> I think that's just the actual lamp. The stand for the lamp mm-hmm. was made out of, of well, it that was made out of um spines. Spines, yes. That was kind of neat looking though. Now, if it that would have been pretty cool. If it would have been fake, you know. I mean, I, I feel one. like it'd be pretty simple to make out of, like, plaster or something like that, you know. I think Ikea should get into that. That would actually be really cool. I know. And then you'd have the skull with the light bulb in it, and then it shine the eyes and the mouth onto the wall. Maybe we could come, maybe we could do that up, new merchandise. Oh my gosh, for real. Okay, go ahead with your story. I'm not even lying. Like, that would be cool. Go ahead with your story. A human heart was even found in a pan sitting on the stove, which makes you think, was he actually going to eat it? A bloody sack was found, and in it was the head belonging to Bernice Warden. Bernice. Mm-hmm. You hungry? I'm actually really hungry, because this is in the morning, nine eight nothing, so... Gein was questioned about it and confessed to killing Warden and Mary Hogan. He said he was going to hang their heads on the wall as decorations. He also admitted to digging up about ten corpses who resembled his mother, where he cut off their body parts. He even cut off the skin of their face and body and wore it as suits, no. saying that he was going to... that he was... Crawling into his mother's skin. Slightly disturbed. Yeah. Police tried to connect him to other murders that happened in past years, but they were unable to do so. Of course, his lawyer, William Belter, entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Well, this worked, and Gein was found unfit to stand trial in January 1958. He was then committed to Central State Hospital. There he worked as a carpenter's assistant, a mason, and a medical center aide. No handyman? No, but that does not seem bad at that all. That's, like, that's, that's better where than you the life. To, that's where you need to go to get a job. That's the that's the better than he was living before, and he killed two people. And Yeah, but he didn't get to crawl into his mother's skin. <laughs> Whatever. 
While he was away, his house stood as a symbol of evil. Some neighborhood boys threw rocks at his house, and on March 20th, 1958, his house caught fire mysteriously, and it was burned to the ground. Well, this was presumably because the townspeople were very angry because his house and farm and car was going to be auctioned off. After all this, Gein was finally fit to stand trial in 1968, and he was found guilty for the murder of... <laughs> Who was that? <laughs> Nobody. I've... Nothing. Little snot. Yeah. Little snot in his nose. Yeah. He was found guilty for the murder of Bernice Warden. Oh, Bernice. But of course they say he was insane at the time of the murder, so he was just sent back to the Central State Hospital. He did have a petition for his release in 1974, but this was rejected. He stayed there until his health began to decline. Then he was transferred to Mendota Mental Health Institute, and there he died of cancer and respiratory illnesses on July 26th of 1984. Oh, he lived a good little long time. I know. Wait, let me see whenever he was born again. Was it 1905 or something? Not, it was 1906, so yeah, he lived. I'm not good at math. He lived to like 78. Is that right? Oh, I don't know. I have to count it up on my fingers. 78. <laughs> Eight. 15, 25, 35, 45, 1906 1906 to 1984. That would be 78. Yeah, no. That'd be 80. To 1984? Oh. 1906 to 1984. Whatever. All right. Smarty pants. Whatever. Smarty pants. No, but I'm serious about that skull idea. That would be a really... Okay, and that's what we got for you today, Quit interrupting me. That would be a really cool souvenir. So, until next time, please get in touch with us. Come on, people. We want to hear from you. We're getting desperate. Are you really? Well, I meant... Oh, can we go back to that? No, I'm not desperate. Okay. Well, thank you for being with us. He's desperate. Thank you for being with us, and we'll see you next time. And if there's any girls ages... 18 to 20, be single. Shut up. I don't need your help. Okay. (laughs) Be single. See you next time, folks. See you.